Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. Um, I just have a small, short word for you, um, but I hope it encourages you. Um, I feel called by God to, in whatever capacity I'm given, to edify the body and to draw nearer to a place of intimacy with God. That's, I, I just feel that's what he's called me to do. And that's what I get to do um, as I lead worship and um, lead some, some members of, of the school. And uh, that's what I hope to do here, to draw you back to Jesus in the midst of, like, what's going on in your own lives. And so I pray um, that that's exactly what would happen. Yeah. So um, the Lord has been speaking to me uh, a word. Uh, If you want to turn to 1 Corinthians 1. Uh, what I have to share is for those who are hungry. It may not be for everyone. Um, I've been in a place where I've, I was content with just being saved and uh, being on the outskirts of things. But lately, God has touched me with a hunger uh, that I'm so grateful for. And there is depths of God that could be touched um, but it's not for the complacent. It's not for those who are just satisfied with the outskirts. I, what I'm saying is that we have an infinite God that can be discovered, can be, he's actually inviting us to come into the depths of his nature and his being. And it, it requires something of us. It requires hunger, it requires humility, um, but it requires a desire to go that far. And so I just want to speak to those who, want to walk in a deeper fellowship with the Lord, experience greater measures of glory of his presence, uh, and walk in the power and calling that he has for your life. Um, We want to see his kingdom expanded, but we want to see it in the way that he wants it done. Um, And so I want to talk to you guys. Um, The thing that the Lord has been showing me, um, I, uh, how many have ever been through painful experiences and just crazy stuff, right? I can, I can probably say everyone here, right? Um, it has a way of narrowing down your options. Um, and uh, it makes your faith real if you want to lean into the Lord or not. And, um, and quickly you find out that there's wisdom that the world offers that just does not apply to your pursuit in the Lord. And, um, and that's really what I want to talk about. The Lord had shown me when I've come to this place that there are, there are standards of man that sound good and has good outcomes in the world, but when it comes to God, just does not apply. It just doesn't. And the thing is, it's hard to tell sometimes, but God is inviting us into a place where we can hear from his mouth. The spirit will tell us things. He will tell us things. He will speak to us. He searches the deep things of God. And the problem with man's standard is that it takes the resources of God apart from God who's the power of those things. So we want the wisdom of God without God who is wisdom. We want the love of God and we define it in whatever way without God who is love. And what you end up with is really twisted ways of living that a lot of people, unless they lean into the Father to hear his voice, can't tell what's going on. There's a passage, you can stay in 1 Corinthians, 
but I'm going to go to uh, Matthew. I'm just going to talk, okay? All right. All right. Awesome. If you fall asleep, just I'll have someone nudge you. It's okay. <laughs> we have some good nudgers. We have Mark. He'll yell it in your ear. <laughs> Wake up! Uh, Matthew 16 verse 13 we have Peter who has walked with the Lord for quite some time at this point and uh, he he's used by God to release revelation in the earth that can only be dispensed from God no one else knows this flesh and blood cannot reveal it Jesus asked him who do you say I am and Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. This is revelation that can only be released by the Father. This is what Jesus says. This was not known before. And Peter was used as a vessel for God's very voice to release something in the earth. And so Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Man, that's a good sentence right there. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Another good sentence. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I mean, these are powerful things released to the man who is used right now to release revelation into the earth. Shortly after that, though, and you've guys, you guys know this, verse 21 says, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. And Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Now, Peter was just used to release and dispense revelation from the Father. But not shortly after that, as soon as uh, Jesus begins to speak on how he's going to be glorified, which is a road of suffering and pain, he begins to be used by another father, the devil. He begins to be used by Satan himself as a vessel to release revelation. And what Jesus says is this, you are a hindrance to me for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And the wisdom of the world, again, wisdom apart from God is demonic wisdom in nature because it's apart from God. And so we need to be careful. And what the Lord was speaking to me when I was in this season was I was, I was finding myself in a place that was very vulnerable and I wanted to cover up. I have a position here in church that doesn't matter anything, but this is what's going through my mind. This is how the devil begins to speak. It's like, well, you got this high place and all this stuff. And so I try to cover up my wounds. I try to cover up. I try to be something that I'm not. And the Lord spoke to me, embrace, embrace your weakness. And I, I think this is the word that I want to give you. Simply this, you can leave after this. It, embrace your weakness. If you want to, if you want to have deeper fellowship with God, if you want to experience greater measures of glory, if you want to walk in your calling, we need to walk by a standard that's not originating from the world but from God. And oftentimes, the world will see that as weakness. So you can turn to 1 Corinthians 1.8. Uh, not 1.8, but 1. Hold on.
Are you guys with me? There's a worldly wisdom and there's, a, there's God's wisdom. And they are oftentimes in, uh, in battle. Verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will dwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seeks wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Verse 25, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I think there is an attack on the body to... And it's really hindrance around this one thing. Is God enough? Is, is positioning yourself to stare in the face of Jesus enough for the addict? Is it enough for the, the one struggling with sexual sin? Is, is it enough for the person who's depressed, the one with heartache, the one who's in pain? Is God enough? And to the world, it would look like foolishness to spend your time before God who you cannot see. But God often uses what looks foolish to man and releases and dispenses strength of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. And here, in the center of our, what we believe, in the center, we find a cross. We find a crucified Savior to the world weakness. The Greeks were looking for wisdom, and God says, this is how I'm going to save you. The Greeks are like, how are you going to save? What's the wisdom of God? How, how, how are you going to bring about salvation of humanity? Crucified Savior. The Jews demand power, a sign. How are you going to show us? How are you going to save us? God says, here's a crucified Savior. It's, it's the center of what we believe. It's the center of everything, and but the foolishness, it, God, it, it like pleased God that through the folly of the content of this message to say, here it is. The foolishness of God is, strong, is wiser than the wisdom of man. The strength, uh, the, the weakness of God is stronger than the strength of men. And I say this because in our pursuit of God, there's no room for flexing. There's no room for striving. There's no room for any of that. And oftentimes we take what we've learned in, in the world and apply it to our walk with the Lord. And it's just, it just does not work. It's very simple. What is weakness? What is weakness? What the world finds weak? It's, it's being humble. It's waiting before the Lord before just rushing out and doing something. It's being obedient despite what you see if the outcome, like you, you can't understand. It's embracing mystery. Not knowing. The Lord called me over here. I have no idea what that looks like. I have no funds. I have nothing, whatever. And then I go. That's foolishness to the world. That's weakness to the world. But for us, it's strength because we know God has us. We know God has us. (laughs) 
Yeah, I'm going to keep reading. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Right, so it's not just the content of the message of the cross that's foolishness to the world, but the sh- but strength to those who are being saved. But also the calling. He calls broken people. It says, not many of you were wise, not many of you were powerful, not many of you noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God and because of him you are in Christ Jesus because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God righteousness sanctification and redemption so that as it is written let the one who boasts boast in the Lord thank you Lord thank you Lord thank you Lord and so the, the, I'm really just, I want to give you something. I think we've all been through trials, and to be honest, there's, there's more trials to come. Um, it's just life. This is the way it's built. Until he comes back, we're just going to keep walking into stuff. And I, I find that the enemy loves to come in these moments, in these moments of confusions, in these moments of pain, in these moments of suffering, these moments of, I mean, I know a lot of your stories, a lot of you guys left stuff in order to pursue the Lord, but you're in mystery. You're not, you're not sure what's going to happen. And the enemy's going to come in and try to say, well, Jesus is not enough. You need to add to this. You need to add to prayer. You need to add to like, why would you go into the prayer room? Why would you do this stuff? That's, that's foolishness. And he's going to come and whisper in subtle ways. And you're going to begin to, to have to choose. Am I going to choose man's wisdom and add it to the wisdom of God? And I want to encourage you, do not do that. He's going to come. He's going to come in like a flood. But what the Lord is saying, embrace the weakness of the moment. Embrace where you're at. Do not cover up. Come to the Lord. Stare at him and watch what he does. It's in your weakness that God's strength is made perfect. God is not looking to use your... He didn't call you because of your giftings and talents. He's going to use them. He's going to use him. He didn't call you for those reasons, though. We come in weakness. We, we accept Christianity in weakness, meaning when I say yes to Jesus, I'm saying I, I can't do life, Lord, without you. I can't do it. I need you. I can't save myself. I can't. I need you, God. And we need to be this way in every area of our lives. And God, and, and so if we start in this walk in weakness, why would we continue in the flesh and so these moments, we kind of want to shy away from, man, I, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Well, let me shift my attention elsewhere. And God's like, no, 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 no. The same way I saved you, you were an enemy of God, and God demonstrates his love on a cross for you and pulls you in. Ephesians 2 says, by his blood, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You were far. You weren't even close. By his blood, he brought you near. 
And it's the same way with our walk. I think we just need to be comfortable with our situations. We need to be comfortable being okay, not knowing what's ahead. We need to be comfortable being okay, going through things and not trying to cover up. The devil wants to attack vulnerability. He wants to attack dependence. He he wants you to be independent. Does that make sense? And this has always been his way. You know, Paul, I, I love Paul um, for many reasons. But one of my favorite reasons was that he was so skilled and talented. Um, everything about him, he was set up to like just run. Um, he was from the right breed. He was uh, of people. He was of the right lineage. He was of the right profession. Uh, he was highly trained. Uh, but in Philippians 3.8, it says that he, he counted as nothing in order that he would know Christ. He didn't leverage his wisdom or anything like that or his training. He didn't leverage any of that. He stayed in weakness, and then God was demonstrated. In continuing the passage, 1 Corinthians 2.1, it says, And I, Paul, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And here's the point. All that's happening, all that you guys may be going through or will go through, these moments are moments where if you stay humble, if you stay leaning in, if you stay looking at Jesus, his strength will be made known through your life. It happens all the time. And I, can, I know many stories here. When we go through the process, when we go through what life hands our way, not trying to flex, but keeping our eyes on him, we find that Jesus's strength comes and demolishes every wall that can be placed in opposition to our destinies or to what we're going through. Um, going for jesus will come and his strength will be displayed your strength is not that impressive it won't be it's not but god's strength is and if you want to go deeper with god if you want to go deeper in these moments of experience you need to embrace weakness we're not yeah all right and this has been his pattern um throughout you know Sin comes into the world and therefore death comes. It ruins everything. Um, and who does, who does God call? To, so he says in Genesis 3, right? Adam and Eve gets kicked out of the garden because of their rebellion, their failure. And they're out. And what does God do in order to bring about salvation for humanity, to reconcile man and God once again? He builds a family. He calls Abraham. He prophesies it in, in um, Genesis 3, but then he calls Abraham. And out of all the people he could have used, he calls a man who's well beyond age and a woman who cannot have babies. What I'm saying is that the, the pattern for salvation here, God's going to dispense hope in the earth that man and God would be together, and he does it through weakness. A man who's way above the age of having babies and a woman who cannot have any. You understand what I'm saying? 
Jesus will come through this line and Jesus will eventually hang on a cross and he comes through this family. This is who God calls. In Exodus, we see the deliverance of Israel. Sorry, I'm just going to turn there. Uh, Exodus. So Israel comes to Egypt. Egypt's the, the strongest military force of the day. And Israel's growing in numbers in the land. And the Egyptians look at them and they say, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape us, uh, escape from uh, the land. And so Egypt has these people just living with them, and they're seeing the people are multiplying. They're like, this is not good for us. And so they enslave them. So now you have a nation enslaved by the strongest military force in the day. And then it says in verse 12, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. All right. Have, have you ever felt oppressed or have you ever felt that life was coming at you really hard and it really should snuff your life? It really should take you out. But instead, when you follow the Lord, the oppression actually brings a multiplication in you. It could not stop God's plan in the people of Israel. It couldn't. The more they oppressed, the more they multiplied. Now you have a slave uh, 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 slaves in this land and in verse oh I didn't write it down yeah 12, uh, chapter 12 verse 33 the Egyptians were urgent now the plagues had just been released God had just battled Egypt single handedly and now they are done they are releasing Israel Israel is about to leave now these are slaves they have nothing absolutely nothing and so the egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste for they said we shall all be dead so the people took their dough before it was leavened their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders the people of israel had also done as moses told them for they had asked the egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing and the lord had given the people favor inside of the egyptians so that they let them have what they asked thus they plundered the Egyptians. Everything was set up against them to not have anything, to not have freedom, and God moved in their lives. He multiplied them, and then he plundered the enemy as they left. And you guys know the rest of the story. He leads them to, to waters, and he splits it, but I, I would have been, yeah, I would have been scared for sure. The walls of Jericho, you guys know the story, it's a children's story, right? Um, well, we tell it to our children, but it's really amazing and manly. Um, <laughs> come on, I think so. So we see, we see the strategy of God, the strategy of God to march around a building that's heavily fortified. I'm saying this because a lot of you guys have been called to these weird moments you're not exactly sure why you are where you are but you're following the lord to the best of your ability you have no idea what's ahead um there's a there's pain in the road and there's a lot of like 
you have to really trust and you really have to lean into these things and it gets hard. I mean, it gets hard. And here, God releases this plan to, to take land in this really obscure way to march around the building and to shout, to yell. And we know in, nor- in normal thinking, that's, that's foolishness. That's foolishness. And I'm sure the people of Jericho thought it was foolish what they were doing. But again, the wisdom of God is stronger. The foolishness of God is stronger than the wisdom of man. And we see that the walls do come down after they just do a marathon and, and shout. You guys with me? God chooses fearful Gideon with 300 men. And I believe they just had jars and trumpets. And they were able to find freedom from their oppressors in the land of Midianites. Do you guys, um, if you want to turn to First Chronicles 20. Here's another story. Again, the foolishness of God is stronger is stronger than the wisdom of man. In the spring of the year, this verse one, the time when kings go out to battle, Job led out an army and ravaged the country. Oh wait. I might be thinking Second Chronicles. Yeah, Second Chronicles. Sorry about that. Verse 1. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them some of the Meunites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazazar Tamar, that is, in Gedi, then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord and from all the cities of Judah. They came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in the sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house. And we cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now, behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. 
here they are surrounded by a bunch of armies that they cannot defeat. But what they do, again, is what everyone else would find foolish to do. They set their eyes on the Lord. And then they're given instruction. Verse 17, you will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the, uh, of the Kohathites and the Korathites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Verse 22, And when they began to sing in praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. They didn't have to lift a finger. They worshiped the Lord, and the Lord fought for them. They did nothing physical, and the Lord came in and made a way. Embrace wherever you are. Embrace weakness, and do not try to flex your way into the things of God. There's a testimony that I recently heard. Um, I heard before, but I recently heard again um, about this businessman. He heard this story, and uh, he had a business deal. It was like a multi-million dollar deal, um, and he was very nervous about it and whatnot. And he had a Bible uh, study group, and they were in this passage, and he felt the Lord just tell him to go into his room and uh, and sing and worship and whatnot. And so he does, and I, he he felt embarrassed, but he did some twirls and stuff like that in his room where no one was looking. He was kind of like a manly man. And, um, and the Lord spoke to him. He says, in your meeting tomorrow, do not say a word. And so he has a team of people. They're detailed-oriented people, but no one talks. He's the talker. He's a negotiator of his team. And the Lord told him, do not say a word. And so seems wise, right? And so he goes and he, he explains to his team who's not saved. He says, the Lord told me not to say anything. And their big argument rose. They were in LA. It was four in the morning so they could beat traffic. So they were together pretty early. And uh, they begin to argue and whatnot. Eventually they yield and they're like, okay, all right, we'll just go in. And so they come into the room and there's a bunch of executives, lawyers, negotiators on the other team. And then he had his team. And the meeting went on for two hours and normally he sets the table. Normally he, he kind of leverages um, his negotiating skills. But this time he just stayed back and just did nothing. And for two hours, naturally, no one even knew what was going on. The meeting just carried out. Never said a word. And then finally, the lead negotiator calls him said, Bob, why don't you come into my office? So he comes into his office and he's talking to Bob. Bob's just, again, silent. He's sitting down. He has no idea what's going to happen. And so he has a notepad and the guy goes, hey, listen, this is the offer I can give you. This is it. This is all I can do. And he, he slips him the offer. Bob looks at it and then looks away and comes back to his notebook and begins to write. Doesn't say a word. He's not even writing anything. And um, the lead negotiator gets upset. He gets, he gets frustrated. He's like, all right, Bob. All right, Bob. I get it. I get it. I get it. Here, this is what I can do. And he raises the offer. And so Bob looks at it. He's like, well, 
Let's do it again. <laughs> he doesn't say a word. He looks back down in his notebook and begins to write. And finally, after some time had passed, the guy gets frustrated again. He's like, all right, that's it. I get it, Bob. I get it. Here, this is all I can do. And he gives him an even higher offer. Bob looks at the offer. He shakes his hand, walks out, and never said a word. After two and a half hours of negotiating, never said one thing, and the offer was raised twice. The foolishness of God is stronger than the wisdom of man. If we can just obey, if we can just lean in, when trouble comes, God is with you. He will not leave you. The enemy will try to convince you that you are alone, will try to convince you that you are powerless, but you serve a very powerful God. Amen? Amen. I want to bring up uh, just a few things, and then I want to pray for you. Um, and I, and I'm, I'm done here. Um, life happens to us, and uh, oftentimes it's, um, well, there's moments where you're forced to embrace weakness. Like, it, it's, it's not a choice. It's kind of like it happens to you, and you feel like you're stripped of options. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Okay. In Isaiah two four, uh, Hosea two fourteen, we talk about the wilderness experience, and I think we're in a culture where we we really embrace um, these types of seasons, um, knowing um, the power of these seasons. Uh, let me just do it in my. But the wilderness is a place away from what we're comfortable with. It's a place of, there's not really a lot there. It's a, it's a place of stripping. It's a place where everything's kind of taken away from you. Um, it's quiet. And in Hosea 2.14, I say this because sometimes there's moments where we find ourselves in wilderness seasons and, and the devil will come and say, hey, uh, you don't need to be here. Try to figure out how to get out of this. But it's in the wilderness seasons that oftentimes God calls us in on purpose. And um, verse 14 says, Therefore, behold, this is God, I will allure her, talking about Israel, and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. It's oftentimes in these wilderness experiences where it can be painful, it can hurt, but it's where we hear the voice of the Lord the strongest. And so the enemy wants you to move away. Now, if we embrace those seasons, we can come in and expect that God is going to speak to us. But if we embrace the wisdom of man, we'll try to escape any other way and we'll miss the voice of the Lord. In, in verse 15, right? So it says in verse 14, it says, I will lure her, bring her to the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And then verse 15 says, and there I will give her her vineyards. This is inheritance language. It means in the, vine, in, in, the, uh, in the wilderness is where actually you'll find a lot of your inheritance revealed. It's in the, the places where you feel stripped that God will begin to reveal to you what belongs to you, what he has promised to you, and you can't get it outside of the wilderness. So he calls you in the wilderness. He speaks to you and says, there, I will give her her vineyards. And look at this. And make the valley of acre, which means trouble, a door of hope. There's a places where we come in and he takes the pain of our lives and begins to rip it open that hope would come out. This is our God. This is our God. And in verse 16, it goes on. 
that he declares the Lord you will call uh, and in that day declares the Lord you will call me my husband and no longer will you call me my ball my bail for I will remove the names of the bales from her mouth and there's uh, and they shall be remembered by name no more it's in the wilderness where the idols are stripped away it's in the wilderness where all these obstacles that are in your life has taken too much of your time is stolen too much of your inheritance and stolen too much of your destiny and it's when the lord calls us into these places and says let's get rid of these things it's just here where it happens and so rather than ri- running from these things and having this wisdom of man which is like i just want to escape everything it's like man lord where are you where are you in this season um betrayal um, turn me to John 13. I know uh, it's kind of just a life experience. Um, betrayal hurts. I'm just giving this example. There's plenty more. Um, in John 13, Jesus is washing the feet of those who will leave him. His friends, his close friends, those who will leave him, he's washing their feet. The Bible says that he loved his own till the end, meaning fully and completely. And in John thirteen twenty seven, you guys know who Judas is. Then after he had taken, they're doing communion. After he had taken mor- uh, the morsel, Satan entered into him. This is Satan entered into Judas. And Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast or that you should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. Look at the next verse, 31. When he had gone out, when Judas had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified. He was just betrayed. He's in the process of betrayal, the process of pain that's about to come up where God himself is going to suffer for the sins of the world. It says when Judas left, he says now. Now is the son of man glorified. Do you guys know the story of Joseph in Genesis? He was betrayed and in the betrayal, he was released into his destiny. He was released into a place. There was pain and suffering on that road, but he came to a place of exaltation. He was second in command of Egypt. You guys know the story. And he helped save the nation from from famine and his own family line from famine. How did he get uh, tossed into that? It was through betrayal. The door of betrayal tossed him into. I say this because it hurts. It's painful, but God's in the midst, and God will not allow the enemy to snuff you out. He won't. He will carry you into these things. And to have a perspective, ah, I got to like, whatever. It's like, no, he's with you. God, where are you in this? Psalm 2. And I'm going to pray. I guess if, Mark, if you want to put. You know what? Let me, uh. If you want to go deeper with the Lord, if you want to experience him in the way that he can be experienced, my, my journey here has been a lot of 
ups and downs, but I'll tell you the greatest amount of glory that I've experienced has been through the greatest amount of pain that I've experienced. Um, it's been through the greatest amount of pressing, not even pain sometimes. Sometimes it's just life happens and I feel overwhelmed and God continually shows up. God continually shows up. And if I can just keep my eyes on him to the world, staying for two hours in the prayer room, that's foolishness when you got bills to pay. You know what I'm saying? Like it's foolishness to the world, but it's wisdom and strength for God. And in your weakness, if you can embrace it, it allows God to be everything. It allows God to be everything. When I when I got saved, I, I entered a community and it was it was a bunch of saved people and there were ranks and stuff like that and you can climb for position. I saw a lot of people fight for power. And what what I saw was a bunch of insecure people who didn't know who they were fighting for these positions, but they were doing it in a way that was worldly. And I didn't understand it at the time, but they had this influence, they had this rank, but there was no power, there was no wisdom, and there was no transformation. And we don't want to be a people who uses our own strength and then there's no power there's no wisdom we want to be a people who carry the kingdom of god well we want to release the presence of god into the earth and it cannot be done through worldly standards it cannot be done through those ways we need to lean into the lord we need to hear his voice if this is for business is this for art if this is for music whatever it may be you need the wisdom of god to release the things of god into the earth if we want to see power, and I believe we're stepping into a moment where a time where we're going to see an outpouring of the Lord. I think this is what he wants. I think this is what he wants to do. But we need hungry people who are willing to embrace the weakness of the cross, the weakness of where we're at, that God may be everything. Do you understand? Do you understand? Okay. So why don't you put your hand on your heart? And I'm just going to pray. I'm not in a rush. I believe that the Lord's going to touch you. It's not because I'm standing here. I have nothing to give you. Following Jesus is the most amazing thing I've ever done. The pain and all, it is the most beautiful, most powerful thing. It has liberated me from drugs. It has liberated me from pride. It has liberated me from depression and suicide. Following Jesus is the most amazing thing that you can ever do. But I just laid out, it's not a road where you can flex your strength and your gifts and all that stuff. It's a road of dying. It's a road of giving up your will, letting go of your life. If you're hungry for the Lord, this is the road. It's a road of humility. I'm just going to give you a few moments. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. There's no fluff to this. There's no magic to this. God is true. And what he says is true, and I'm confident in his word. I want you to consider for a moment. Are you willing to give your future up, your position up, your decisions, your children, that God would be everything? 
Are you willing to give him your current situation? To be open with him. God, you see my hurt. You see my pain, but I choose you. If you are, I just want you to tell him that you are. Let him know you want to go deeper. In your own words, that you want to experience greater measures of glory. And that you want to walk in the calling that he has called you to. In the way that he wanted to look like. Satavria sotoriki, satavria sotoriki, satavria sotomombriki, haria soria, satavriki, satamambria, satavriki, sotoria, satamambriki, satarisho, havria sotoriki, satamambria, satavriki. Jesus, be glorified. Be glorified here, God.